You're listening to a Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Savage Lovecast, the once a week out loud version of my sex advice column, Savage Love. I'm Dan Savage, and the way this works is people call in with questions and record them, and then I do my level best to answer them. The phone number here, if you want to record a question for a future podcast, 206-201-2720. And we have tons of great calls this week, and we're going to get right to them. Hi, Dan. As we get older, my wife and I don't always come together, but take turns coming first. Well, as my wife had come last weekend, but we didn't want to continue any more that night because I was getting numb, we agreed to do something the next morning for me, but it didn't happen. She got up and got around and let me sleep. All last week, I was looking forward to some action each night when I got home, but she's always asleep. Finally, Thursday night, not only was I horny, but she woke up and decided to play with me. This went on for more than an hour in the dead of night until she worked me up by hand to a powerful climax. I groaned quite a bit and panted as I came. No sooner had I calmed down or just passed the climax than I heard my 13-year-old daughter at the doorway asking, Dad, what is it? I sat up quickly in the dark and swung my legs over the edge of the bed away from her and the doorway and explained that it was a powerful leg cramp from the fan blowing on my exposed legs. She left and went back to her bed without comment. I got up, washed up, and returned to my wife in bed and suggested next time she starts playing with me to close and lock the door. Well, she retorted, of course, that the next time I'm horny to close and lock the door myself. Well, I guess we're both to blame for not talking or taking more care, but now we're faced with what to say to our daughter. I don't like lying to her, but the fib was the first thing that popped in my mind, and I'm rather proud of coming up with something justifiable while still throbbing from a mad climax. How do other couples deal with this? Man, that's the most scripted question we've ever received here at the podcast. Uh, But we appreciate your uh, keeping it under two minutes, even if it requires you to write it out and read it to us. Um, You did the right thing. You told an absolutely transparent lie. That's what you do under those circumstances. Your daughter is 13. Uh, Your daughter exists. Therefore, uh, you know, drawing on both of those facts, your daughter knows her parents fuck. And I'm sure she's heard it before. Uh, I don't know why she burst into the room this time. Maybe uh, your panting, moaning, and screaming and yelling was a a little over the top uh, due to the buildup. But she did. You told a lie. She knows it was a lie. It was a white lie. Uh, What other couples do? They lock their doors. uh, And when they get caught and everybody gets caught, you tell a big fat white lie. uh, And then you look at your child and your child knows they're being lied to. Uh, and you know you're lying, and what happens at that moment is a mutual willing suspension of disbelief. Your child pretends because she would rather believe that you had a cramp, that you had a cramp. You pretend that she actually believes you had a cramp, even though you know for a fact that she does not actually believe that in her heart of hearts. And then you power through the next four or five years of her life. This is going to come to an end. She's 13. She's probably going to move out in three, four, five years, right? You power through the next three or four or five years pretending that you guys don't ever have sex and that she doesn't know that you do have sex and you just fucking lie, lie, lie. There really is no other option. There really is no other choice. Uh, One that, you know, there's no choice that will preserve your dignity and your child's sanity besides lying and willing mutual suspension of disbelief. So run with that. Hi, Dan. Uh, You took a call once from a guy whose partner was upset that he looked at porn. In a nutshell, your advice was that most guys look at porn, so it shouldn't je- and it shouldn't jeopardize the relationship. And if your partner doesn't like it, 
then be discreet about it. I'm kind of in the same situation, but with an added twist. I've been married for eight years, and my wife has trust issues stemming from an abusive first marriage. So even though I've been completely faithful to her, and just about all my time is spent with my family, it's still hard for her to trust anyone, even me. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy, Dan, so I, I enjoy looking at porn. And my particular preference is softcore and BDSM images of petite, small-breasted, young-looking adult women. That's just the look and the body type that turns me on the most. Now, the thing is, I have two daughters, including one that just turned 13. They're, they're awesome kids, and my 13-year-old is becoming a beautiful young woman. But despite my porn preference, she is my daughter, and I'm her dad, and I don't ever look at her in any other way than that. But I'm sure that my wife wouldn't see it that way if she ever saw my porn stash. Dan, she'd freak the fuck out. She, she, she knows I've surfed porn before, and it makes her very insecure and upset. So I try to be careful and remove all traces and keep it private. But whenever she reads a newspaper article about a guy arrested for having child porn, she makes offhand comments, like if she ever caught me doing anything like that, she'd call the police immediately, and she'd leave me, and I'd never be near my kids again. And considering the way society is right now, she could probably make that happen. Now, considering my situation, are my porn-surfing habits wrong? Should I stop? Is there any way to explain to her that there is a Grand Canyon-sized difference between my teenage daughter and porn pics of adult women who only look like teenagers? It really is your help, Dan. Thanks a lot. I'm not sure what I can do to help you. Uh, are they wrong, these images that you look at, this porn featuring adult models who uh, have adolescent-esque bodies, uh, is that wrong to to enjoy that kind of pornography? No, no, it is not wrong. Um, should you stop? Probably because you live with a crazy, controlling, psycho bitch. Sorry to put it like that. This doesn't sound like a marriage. This is a hostage situation. There are times, you know, there are people who've been in abusive marriages, abusive past relationships, and they need they need understanding, and they need time, and they need you know indulgent next partners who can help them heal. But they have a responsibility to fucking heal eventually. Especially if they have an understanding, helpful partner. That she, your wife needs therapy. She needs to stop controlling you and terrorizing you. You sound like you're calling from a bunker somewhere, terrified that your wife's going to come around the corner and hear what you're saying. I don't know how you could live with that kind of pressure. I'd leave her if I were you, frankly. I couldn't live like that. I couldn't live the way you're living, live with that kind of pressure and paranoia. You know, I have trust issues. It's not an excuse uh, for someone to be, to, to, you know, to be controlling. And oftentimes you hear people who talk about their partners and their partners have trust issues. And then the more you talk to someone about their partner with trust issues, the more you get the impression that the partner is using, you know, a posture of vulnerability and a posture of having trust issues to be controlling and manipulative and unfair and press an unfair advantage home. And it sounds like your wife is pressing an unfair advantage home. And if I were you, I would get the get her, get me to a couples counselor 
a sexually progressive couples counselor and they're out there and have and lay this all out in front of your wife. Lay this out for a conversation in front of your wife because this is not fair to you emotionally. You are being emotionally abused. Period. End of discussion. And you should not put up with it any more than your wife should put up with the kind of abuse that she suffered in her past relationship, which is no excuse for the kind of abuse she's inflicting on you now. I have a, I have a 10-year-old son. going to be 10 very soon. And <laughs> my son looks like my boyfriend at 10. My son is a blonde-haired, blue-eyed kid. My boyfriend is a blonde-haired, blue-eyed adult. Um, there is a real chance that my son may grow up to be what would otherwise, if he weren't my son, be my type of guy. We rely on a functioning, healthy adult parent to have a functioning, healthy adult uh, incest taboo. And parents do. A lot of men have their daughters grow up to, to be the kind of women they're attracted to, in part because they look a little bit like the wives that they married, in part because they're attracted to their wives. You are not under suspicion. We are not under suspicion, parents, if our children grow up to look like the people who are in the porn that we enjoy. Period. End of discussion. So the fact that your daughters may resemble some of these adult women in the porn you enjoy is nothing that you should be putting yourself on the rack about for the rest of your life. And it's nothing your wife, it's not a stick your wife should be able to beat you with. And you can't feel guilty about it. And you can't be on the rack about it. So long as your sexual energies are not focused on your own children, any resemblance between your children as grown as adults or adult adolescents or young adults uh, and the, the people you enjoy looking at a porn is purely coincidental and is nothing that you should feel guilty about. Hello, Dan. I am calling because I broke up with my boyfriend about three months ago and we're trying to maintain a friendship. Um, I'm the breaker and he's the breaky and I'm fairly over it and he's super heartbroken and, um, and it's really sad. Um, and I'm, and I feel really, you know, empathetic for where he's at. Uh, we're, we're trying to maintain a friendship and, um, We've kind of cycled through him saying, okay, I can't see you anymore, ever. I just need space. And then, like, a week later calling me in tears. And then I went over there and um, held him while he cried on the floor for an hour. Um, and then, you know, said, okay, well, we have to be able to see each other some and be friends or whatever. Um, we haven't fucked. Thank you for asking. I just want to know if you have any advice about how I can facilitate him being okay as quickly as possible. Do I need to get out of the way or do I need to engage the protracted email discourse? Hey, Dan. How are you? Um, overwhelmed. <laughs> we just listened to your call and I'm calling you personally. Thank um, you. To tell you to stop fucking hanging out with your ex-fucking boyfriend. Even though I still love him? Uh, if there's nothing loving about hanging out with somebody you've dumped who's heartbroken, you're just keeping him hooked. Oh, yeah. You're just giving him enough of yourself emotionally that he's never going to, the wound will never heal, it's never going to be cauterized, it's never going to stitch up, uh -huh. so long as you're there tearing it open. Every time he sees you, it's going to rip it right fucking open. And he may think that he needs to see you because he loves you and waka waka. But it's the yeah. worst possible. It's like a drunk thinking he needs, you know, somebody who's kicked the sauce thinking that they really need to see a bottle of vodka every once in a while. Well, I think 
Yeah, I mean, I think he said that he does need to see me, and then I believe him, and then I do it. Well, don't. Because I want to, because I feel fucking badly that he feels so shitty. Well, yeah, and, you know, it may make you feel a little less guilty for dumping him if you rush in there and hang out with him and hold him while he cries. Oh, it doesn't make me feel less guilty. But it's only going to extend this period of mourning. Right, and we want to cut short this period of mourning, please God. Right, he needs to get the fuck over you, You're, it's over, you're out of his life, and he's yeah. using the like tears and bawling to manipulate you back into his life, to keep to keep a hold of some part of you. Yeah, that's. Pro- I think you're probably right about that. But I'm like, he doesn't know that he's doing that, he's well, just t- fucking desperate, right? Well, tell him that's what he's doing, and tell him that's why you can't see him anymore. And he needs to find another support system. He needs to lean on his other friends. He needs to be angry with you and hate you and decide you're a bitch and... Oh, that's so hard! Well, suck up. Suck it up. You know? Uh, being thought... Well, yeah, actually, I have a new catchphrase. It's buck up or fuck off. <laughs> and that's what you need to tell him. Uh, yeah, okay. But you need to, like, let him fuck up. You know, a lot of times when we dump somebody, we want to feel like, you know, dumping was cruel and we feel like the meanie because we dumped the person. And then well, we, we want to... We want to make ourselves feel better about ourselves by then being friends, by offering them friendship. And that is sometimes the worst thing you can possibly do under those circumstances. Your friendship is toxic under those circumstances. Oh. It may make you feel less guilty, but it's only going to extend his pain. Oh, I don't want to extend his pain. I need to buck up or fuck off. You need to buck up or fuck off, and you can't hang out with him. You can't see him. Don't talk to him on the phone. Let him leave you a million pathetic messages. Don't talk okay. to him. Okay. Okay, good. Well, except since I called him, you, I've gotten, like, many pathetic emails. So. Okay, except to tell him that, you know what, this isn't healthy, you need to get over me, you need to lean on your other friends, I love you, it's over, I, I can't see you for at least six months or a year. All right, I'm going to do it. Okay. I'm going to cut the cord. Cut the cord. Thank you, Dan. Bye. Bye. Hi, Dan. I'm a 30-year-old straight married woman. My 38-year-old husband and I have been together for seven years. When we met, he had just quit being a minister, and I was kind of a slut, but we fell in love right away. Uh, Though our sex was mostly vanilla for the first few years, it was great. For the next few years, it was less frequent, but he was very attentive and didn't mind going down on me even if he wasn't in the mood and things like that. For the past year, the sex has been almost non-existent. We're affectionate with each other. We get along wonderfully. We share porn because we have the same tastes, and I love him so much, but he just never wants to have sex with me. I've spoken to him about this, but he doesn't give me a straight answer. If I ask for sex, he'll say he's tired or that he masturbated earlier and his dick is sore. A few times he said that he was doing the masturbation death grip, and he thought he should retrain his dick before he has sex with me again. I've offered to do anything in bed. I've even told him that if he wants to sleep with someone else, we could negotiate an open relationship because I would do anything to make him happy. And while sex isn't the most important thing in our relationship, it's still important. And if this continues for another year, I'm afraid it's going to be a deal breaker, which sucks because everything else about him is perfect and I love him so much. Any advice would be great. Thank you. Hello? Hey, it's Dan. Hi. We all just listened to your call. Okay. Uh, I have a question. How old are you? I'm uh, I'm almost 30. You're almost 30. How old's your uh, ex-minister husband? <laughs> He's 38. And how long have you guys been together? We've been uh, married six years. And you've been kids? together like seven. No, no. Oh, that's convenient. You should leave him. Oh, my God. There's something up. Really? There's something, you know, if he hasn't had sex with you for a year and he's making all sorts of 
weird, lame excuses over that whole year, he's withholding something. There's something he's not telling you. We could speculate as to what that might be. Um, uh, you know, from my perspective, I always hear that sort of run around and think that there's homosexuality hiding under the couch. Is that a possibility? Uh, he has a lot of uh, female porn. Like, I know where all his porn is. He has tons of porn with women on it. Um, but he, he does kind of get that sometimes just because he's a really nice guy who like, cries at movies and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's right up there with getting fucked in the ass, crying at movies. Um, <laughs> It's a short. It's a short jump from uh, crying it during a during a movie to just bending over and taking it up the butt. Let me tell you, that's how it happened to me. Um, but but clearly something's up, and it doesn't sound like it's getting any better. It sounds like it's only getting worse. You're, he's lying to you. He's looking you in the eye when you bring these things up and just lying. And you don't sound at all angry or perturbed by that. I kind of will let him, just because we're so close. Um, but how close I'll, are you really if he's withholding this kind of information, if he's uh, letting you think, if, you know, if he's just lying and lying and lying and just not leveling with you? Like, how bad would it be if, you know, if he, if he wants to live with you in a sexless marriage, he needs to lay that out for you and say, here's the new deal, you know? <laughs> and then you can make an informed decision about whether you want to stay with him. But he can't just keep stalling. And if he tries to keep stalling, you should get mad. Yeah. <laughs> You're being badly used in the way he's not using you. <laughs> and you should be pissed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did say, say something to him recent, recently. And just, um, what, did he, what, him what, what, what did you say to him? Um, I said that I, um, that I didn't care what the reason was, just that he would tell me that even if it, it's, he like was interested in someone else, or if he even if he just wanted to say like, "Honey, lose ten pounds before I care about you," or like no matter what it was, even if it was hurtful, I just wanted to know. And he said that he knew he was doing it, but he didn't understand why he was doing it. That's bullshit. People understand why they do this sort of thing. That's another lie. That's just another lie. And and what's what's happening here is because he's withholding whatever the truth is from you, you're imagining worse things. And you're turning all the criticism in and on yourself, you know, that he's in love with somebody else or that, you know, you're too fat or whatever. You're going to start wondering when somebody does this to a mate or, you know, a spouse, they put the spouse in the position of going every day, what's wrong with me? And then when the truth comes out, invariably, it was something wrong with them, something wrong with him. And it's cruel and sadistic of him not to tell you what it is. And it's usually about cowardice. He's probably afraid to tell you what he is because he's a chicken shit. And at this point, a serial liar and deceiver who is willing to sacrifice your emotional security, your self-esteem, and your sex life on the altar of his cowardice. And you need to be rid of him. Maybe that's too harsh. Not rid of him. You need him to level with you, and if he can't level with you, you need him to be rid. Of, you need to be rid of him. Um, I was thinking of uh, I go to therapy just for like, mental illness issues, and he comes with me sometimes just to like be supportive of having him talk to the therapist when I'm not there, and maybe see if I, he can figure out what's wrong with him. I bet you a million dollars he knows what's wrong, and he just doesn't want to tell you. But you should, yeah, if you think that might work, have him talk to your therapist too. 
Okay. Or have the both of you sit there and talk to your therapist, and then have your therapist tell you if he thinks he's lying. Okay? Okay. I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. Thank you so much for calling me. You're welcome. Before we get to the next call, can I just say I feel like the meanest person in America today? I feel like the meanest, cruelest, worst sex advisor in the history of sex advice. I'm just like beating the fuck out of people today. And for that, I apologize. Uh, but sometimes people just got to be slapped upside their fool heads. And I guess today is one of those times. Um, hi, Dan. I'm a 20-year-old college student. I guess I have a more social problem, I guess. Um, oftentimes when I meet someone for the first time, and I don't mean... You know, I just mean as a friend, uh, we'll start hanging out, and very shortly after I meet them, they'll begin like divulging all these like sexual things that I really didn't want to know. Like, in you know, maybe the second time I see them ever, and um, that makes me really uncomfortable, honestly. I you know, it's one thing if you've known someone for ages, but to start talking about that stuff right off the bat, and then they also kind of have this very, like, they expect me to do that as well, which I'm also not comfortable with. So I guess my question for you is, how do you avoid that kind of uncomfortable situation and also, how do you, I don't know, just say, like, it's none of your business? Uh, here's what you do. You sound like sort of a serious young woman, which is a fine thing to be. But you need to have a sense of humor about this, even if you have to fake it. And when these people that you've just made the acquaintance of uh, begin to overshare uh, and reveal too much and too much intimate information and information you're not comfortable Hearing and information you're not going to respond to uh, in kind and you're not going to share similar info about yourself. You just need to like put your hands over your ears and laugh and say, hey, 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 this is making me uncomfortable. Too much information. Don't know you well enough yet. Happy to hear all your dirtiest stories uh, after we've been friends for pick your time for six months, couple years, 20 years, never, whatever it is, just lay it out there, have a laugh, laugh it off. And then if they ever start to do it again, do the same thing again. Easy peasy. Hey, Dan. I'm a uh, 30-year-old het female, and um, I just had a question for you. Um, I've always been kind of moderately interested in BDSM, um, mostly in kind of the porn, uh, erotic fiction kind of realm. But about a year ago, I had kind of this very cool, uh, spontaneous BDSM experience with a guy I was dating at the time. And um, it was surprising to both of us. And, you know, I tend towards Dom, and he tended towards Sub, and it's just worked out great and had a fantastic um, experience and we repeated it a few times where basically I'd, you know, beat the shit out of him and he, you know, he loved it. He told me how much he loved it and pretty much the only thing that would stop the sessions was me getting tired. So um, I thought we were all good, but, you know, other things in the relationship, well, they, you know, didn't work out and we broke up. But after we broke up, he accused me of physically abusing him, which was shocking to me because I assumed he was you know, into it because all evidence pointed that way. So, um, you know, I kind of held that on, held on to that a little. I was just wondering, you know, why, why would someone would say that? And, you know, 
what what I can do to keep that from happening again. But anyway, the last guy I dated um, for we dated for about four months. Um, he was not into BDSM at all. He was not interested. I I brought it up with him, and he was very turned off by the concept. So he's so turned off by it that he would use the term dominatrix, like calling me a dominatrix as a derogatory term, meaning I was being a bitch. So that wasn't a good experience either, and I didn't get to um, kind of explore that side of me, which I had recently discovered. And um, so we broke up, you know, for a variety of reasons, mostly because he was a dick. And um, so time has passed, and I just started seeing this new guy. You know, we just started seeing each other. You know, it's still very casual, et cetera, but, you know, I like him and things might go well. And so I just had a couple of questions for you. One is, you know, this whole, this whole thing about that, that first guy saying I abused him. I mean, that's, I want to say that's total bullshit, but it just hit a chord because I don't want to hurt anybody. And I don't know what that's about. So I want to see what you thought about that. And um, how do I bring up the topic with a new guy? You know, because I'd like to, and it's something I really enjoyed. And I get the impression that he seems more open-minded, but I don't know. And um, what's a good way to do it? Maybe last time I brought it up, I just did it wrong. I don't know. Hello? Hello, it's Dan. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Uh, I'm so happy to be talking to you. Most of the calls today, uh, we're ending the show with you. Most of the calls today have been so depressing. Oh, really? Yeah. Mine isn't really depressing. It's, it's kind of fun in a way. but. Oh, I know. Beating the shit out of some guy who loves it is a blast. Well, I thought he loved it. And <laughs> you know, I guess afterwards he felt remorse or something. I don't know. I couldn't figure it out. Did you guys, you say that the first time that you did it, uh, the first time mm-hmm. you beat the crap out of this guy, and mm-hmm. it sounds like whatever, uh, however the BDSM manifested itself, it was pretty intense. Yeah, well, it was It was just really, really fun. What did you do? And like we were, oh, you want the story? Yeah, I want some it's dirty fucking story. details. Okay. Um, basically, I was over at his house and I was in the bath. And I was taking a bath, and he was outside, and he comes in, and I can smell smoke on him. He's been smoking, and he knows I hate that. Like, my grandfather died from cigarette smoke, and I'm very strongly against smoking. I can't believe you fucking smoked. I was, like, really angry. And I started yelling at him, and I called him, like, an asshole and a piece of shit. And the more I insulted him, the happier he got. And then I'm like, get in this fucking tub right now. And so he got in the tub, and I started washing him, like mean washing it, like scrubbing really hard and scrubbing his hair. And I washed his hair, and I washed his hands, and I just scrubbed the shit out of him. And he was loving it. And so he's like, this is so awesome. I'm like, yeah, it is. And so we didn't really talk about it exactly, but he's like, I think I think I just a beating. I'm like, yes, you do. And we just kind of went with it. It was like perfect. And you... So we lie down on the bed, and I just beat the crap out of him with a Ikea spatula. With a what? Ikea spatula. Ikea spatula? Yeah. Wow. Like one you're of those bre- big wooden ones? You're breaking up a little bit. That's the craziest SM scene I've ever heard about in my life. Uh, I scrubbed the shit out of him. Um. Yeah. <laughs> he had like a big, like, like a, like a loofah sponge, and I just, he didn't bleed or anything. It wasn't that bad, but he got kind of raw, yeah. You weren't dating Bill O'Reilly, were you? No. Um, here's the thing. Although I would love to beat the shit out of him. As would we all. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, BDSM experiences that are spontaneous... Mm-hmm. are kind of always and everywhere a bad plan. Oh, really? Because you just don't know where emotionally someone's at. You know, somebody can appear to be giving their consent, and it's not they're not really feeling like they completely gave their consent, or they feel like they're doing it for you because it turns you on and not for themselves, which is why if you are you know, going to identify yourself now as someone who's into BDSM, you need to learn how to have conversations in advance 
that are very right. detailed about what turns you on and what turns them on, and you need to be able to check in with them afterwards very explicitly about whether they enjoyed it, whether you went too far. They have to be able to edit your style. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? As it goes yeah, on, so it just doesn't sense. snowball out of control. Like maybe accused you of abuse at the end because things had gotten out of control and you didn't know how to write it. And there was, and you guys didn't have a vocabulary, and you didn't have, you didn't ever have, a, you never had conversations about what you were doing. Right. And he felt like yeah, a, if true. he was submissive, he couldn't initiate them, and it was really your responsibility if you were dominant to initiate those conversations, and you didn't, and right. blah blah blah. Yeah, I don't have any IQ on that stuff. That's for sure. You need to do some I don't reading. Know what I was doing. <laughs> you need to do some reading. Um, I would recommend the sexually dominant woman. Okay. Um, and you need to, as you move on, if this is an important part of your sexuality that you discovered, um, you need to be upfront about it as you move into new relationships. And if it's something you want to have in future relationships, um, you need to be explicit about it at the get-go. Okay. So you're not with some guy for four months before, with with him, you know, making fun of you and being a dick about it. Right. That was fun. I mean, I didn't even do anything with him. I just, you know, we were talking about stuff that we were into, and I just kind of, I didn't even get into details. I just kind of casually mentioned that this was something that I was interested in, and he was not into it. And I, didn't, I never brought it up again. I didn't push the issue, you know, because obviously it wasn't his thing, and that was kind of a, you right. know, But he looked at you, but it. from that moment on, he looked at you and thought, I'm not meeting all of her sexual needs, and he, that curdled into some sort of resentment. Right. Where he looked at you and felt like he wasn't everything you needed him to be, and so he always felt inadequate, and then he lashed out. In an inappropriate way. So what you need to do, and this is, you know, I've said this a million times to women like you, you can write your own fucking ticket. Right. I'm going to get a million I, I phone like calls from idea. guys that want to be roughly bathed and whacked with an Ikea spatula after this goes out on the podcast. The guys will be right. volunteering to be your next boyfriend slash victim. Right. And so you, you know, as a dominant woman, as a woman into BDSM, as a top, you just need to... Set, put yourself out there. You need to go to kink groups. You need to find the BDSM group in your community. You need to go to some fetishy events. You know, okay. try adultfriendfinder.com. Okay. Be sane. Right. And be careful. But you will literally enjoy beating the guys off with a stick that are going to come <laughs> on their hands and knees begging you to be their top, their mistress, their, you know, dom. That sounds good to me. Yeah, it'll be great. You'll have a blast. How old are you? I'm 30. You're 30? Fucking go for it. No time like the Seriously. goddamn present. Right. I'm surprised, like, it took me so long to figure it out because I was always kind of, you know, a little interested in it. I liked reading about it and watching it and that sort of thing, but I never thought I could actually, I'd actually have the stones to do it, but when I did, <laughs> it felt very, very good. But now you need so. to be able to do it with someone who you can have a conversation with about it, you can be articulate, okay. you can have conversations when you're off the BDSM grid. There'll be moments when you guys are playing, when it's a scene, and then you need to be able to have conversations about what works, what doesn't work, what turns you on, what turns me on, and you need to be able to construct a little fantasy BDSM universe where even if you break up, or it doesn't work out, or you only mess around a few times, neither of you is going to leave feeling used or abused. Yeah. And I think that was a problem with your first relationship. Is it yeah, just I mean, sounds like you guys after that too, you know, like we I know, but it's it a, but like did you ever talk time. about it with him? Did you ever I talk mean, about we what did. It... we did, but but maybe not as much as we should have. And he probably exactly, at probably that moment was expecting you to lead that conversation, a conversation that you weren't yet qualified to to lead. Right. Because he was being right. submissive. Right. So he didn't probably feel like it was his place. So, you know, in the end he probably was 
he probably was a little abused because you were both, you know, without anybody being culpable, you're both ignorant. Sure, and we don't know our boundaries yet, et cetera. Right, right. Okay. Go do a bunch of reading. I will. I will study hard. Google Mistress Matisse. Mistress, Mistress Matisse. Oh, sure, yeah. Okay. She's, she's been on the show. She writes a sex column, and she has a blog uh, that she writes about her life as a professional dom. She's very wise about these things, and she has tons of great advice and tons of great links, and you can even write her a letter, and she'll probably okay. whack some sense into you, too. And then find some boy who wants to, you to beat him up and enjoy. I will. Thanks so much. Sure thing. Love you so. Bye. Bye. We get emails at the podcast, and every once in a while I like to read uh, one or two of them, and I'm going to read just one this week. Um, when I was in high school, Dan, I decided I needed birth control, but I was too afraid to talk to my parents or even my family doctor about it. Instead, I got a friend to drive me to the nearest city so I could go to a Planned Parenthood. Well, my dad saw the long-distance charges on our phone bill from when I made the appointment and called the number to see what it was. When he found out I had been secretly going to Planned Parenthood, he began secretly sending them charitable donations. He never told me about any of this until I was well into college and well beyond the embarrassment that this knowledge would have caused me. Oh, what a sweet story. And uh, Elizabeth sent it in as a counterpoint to the uh, parents out there who freaked out and called their daughters sluts when they found out they were using birth control. Uh, Elizabeth's dad did the right thing and uh, wrote a check to Planned Parenthood after his daughter reached out to the organization. Uh, And you should send a check to Planned Parenthood. Uh, even if you don't have a daughter who's getting birth control from Planned Parenthood, everybody should send a check to Planned Parenthood every once in a while because they do great work. That wraps this week's podcast up. 206-201-2720 is the phone number. Please call and record a question for a future podcast. Try to keep it under two or three minutes. Leave your name and number in case we want to call you back. We promise not to broadcast your phone number. And you download the podcast every week at thestranger.com slash savage. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll be back at you next week on the podcast.